common uh, complaint among pastors whenever we get together. Um, I'm going to pull back the veil a little bit and let you know what pastors talk about whenever we get together. Um, Now, this is not a complaint necessarily about our people, but I have to be careful because there's a reason why you will never hear pastors say this because it can be misconstrued as a complaint about our people. It's not about our people, but it's about the work of pastoring itself. Um, Again, it's not about you or about our congregations, um, but we still wouldn't say it out loud very often. And it's this, y'all, you should, any of you that have ever worked, I mean, you know, you're going to know this complaint. So after all that qualification, let me just give it to you. We complain about the vanity of our work. When we get together, we talk about how our work feels so fruitless. We can go year after year after year without ever seeing real product from what we're doing. And and what is our product? What's the production that we're into as pastors? Well, it's the growth of our people. Okay. Um, So often our work feels fruitless. It feels like it's vain, okay, or done in vanity. And I bring that up because in the very first verse here, uh, what what, uh, Paul says is that his work was not in vain. Um, Now, and... and (coughs) In my experience as a pastor and hearing other pastors complain about this, um, I would say that more often than not, this is not a valid complaint. We'll say it, but I've heard guys that have planted churches and within five years have a thousand members. <laughs> you know, they'll plant a church a thousand or five years later have a thousand members and they'll say their, their work feels so fruitless. That tells me that it's not really a valid complaint, but it feels that way so often. But Paul says his ministry to the Thessalonians was not in vain. And Paul had the right focus. Because he wasn't focused on himself, but he was focused on the one who was doing the work through him. And this passage that we're going to read today can be basically broken down into two sections. Verses 1 through 12, Paul's going to talk about his work among the Thessalonians. And then in verses 13 through 16, he's going to talk about the Thessalonians and their reception of his work. Uh, Now, as Paul talks about his work, I think it's going to be interesting for us to see how he describes the manner of his work and then also how he describes how the Thessalonians received his work. So let me read this for us. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 through 16. This is God's good and kind and gracious word for you today. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and had been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel... So we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or for, uh, for others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, 
because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labors and toil. We worked night and day that we may not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You were a witness, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But God's wrath has come upon them at last. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let me pray and ask for the Lord's help in understanding his word. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for giving us uh, this word today, and we pray, Lord, that you would penetrate our hearts with it, uh, that we might see your grace and mercy, that uh, you might soften our hearts to receive the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, I don't pray that. Uh, only for those that are here, but for my own heart as well. I pray that I would receive the good news of Jesus Christ. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So I only have two points for us today, but each of those points is broken down into 35 different points. So, no, just two points. Um, and, and so that first section, uh, Paul's, work, God, it, it, Paul's work and how he describes the manner of his work is verses 1 through 12. It's the longer part of this. Uh, And essentially, the way that he describes his work is as a parent. And and so I've titled this Gospel Parenting in verses 1 through 12. Um, And in working through this, I I thought about this. Um, I could write a book on parenting just on this chapter, and I could make a million dollars off of doing it. So one day I'm going to write that book. But this is not talking to parents necessarily about how to raise their children. It's not doing that. This isn't a manual for parenting. All he's doing is simply describing what his ministry to the, uh, to the uh, Thessalonians was like. And he uses two very common illustrations, one of a mother and one of a father, gospel parenting. So look in verses 1 through 8. This is where he says, uh, I was like a mother to you. He was like a mother to you. Uh, and essentially in verses 7 and 8, at the very end, he describes what he, how he was like a mother to the Thessalonians. Verse 7, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. Now in verse 8, he basically gives a description, three different things about about how he felt about the Thessalonians like a mother feels about her own children. He says, we were affectionate to you. Um, This is language that men don't typically use, but here is Paul, a man, talking about his affection for the Thessalonians. He was there with them for a month, and he grew to really be affectionate toward them. So he was affectionate, just like a mother is affectionate 
to her child. And he says they were ready to share themselves in the gospel. And that's an interesting thing. He says, as we were proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to you, that he was crucified for your sins and resurrected from the dead, as we proclaim that message to you, we shared the gospel, but we also shared ourselves. And the wording that's used there is an indication of a mother, uh, or is like a mother nursing her child. Because in that moment, what's the mother doing? She is sharing herself with the child. She's taking her time. She's taking her energy. She's taking her resources. And she's giving them over to the child. And, and what Paul says is, as I proclaim the gospel to you, as we did that, we shared ourselves in that way. We gave you our time, our energy, and our resources, just like a mother does with her children. And then this last description, he says at the end of verse 8, because you had become dear to us. You had become dear to us. Now, that's not a word we use very often. We will maybe use it in a note if we still write a handwritten note. Dear so-and-so. But this is a term of endearment. A term that shows the infection and that sort of thing. It's a term that shows how much they care, that Paul cared for these individuals. Like a mother thinks about her children, they are dear to her. And this is a great description of what an ideal mother is like. Mothers are gentle among their ch- her children. She sacrifices for them. She gives time, energy, uh, resources, anything that a child needs, a mother is willing to give. Um, and, and Paul simply says that's what he was like among the Thessalonians. Now, he was gentle among them, but here's something that's really important that we need to understand. He also says that he was bold among them like a mother. So get this in your mind. He was gentle like a mom, but also bold like mother's are. Margaret's smiling. She knows probably what's about to come here. Mothers can say things to their children that no one else can say. Mothers do say things to their children that no one else would have the guts to say, right? A mother can say in the same moment, you look very handsome. And in the next breath, she can say, and fat. You look handsome and fat. And she can get away with it. No one else can say that, right? Mothers are gentle but bold with their children because they want the best things for their children and they will call their children in boldness to be better than what they are. Husbands can't get away with these sorts of things, right? Do I look fat in this dress, right? Husbands know. You you know, retreat, retreat. You get out of that, right? You don't answer it, okay? As best you can, you get out of that question. But if, if a daughter asks her mother that question, what does she say? Do I look fat in this dress? Yes. Okay. She'll say the truth, but then we'll offer a way to help disguise that or, or help in, in that. Uh, it's an amazing thing that mothers can do. And here's what we need to learn from this. The ministry of the gospel requires gentleness, but it also requires boldness. Because you need to hear the truth about what your heart is really like. You need to know what you're really like. It doesn't do any good for ministers of the gospel or even you as, as congregants to not be honest with people about what they're really like. We're in the South. We don't like kind of calling people out and, and having conflict. But, but the gospel says that we are sinners before a wrathful God. And we need to be saved from our sin. But it does it in a way 
that is gentle. And that's why we're, we're commanded to speak the truth in love. And that's how Paul says, um, that's what he did. He spoke the truth in love. He was gentle with the Thessalonians, but he wasn't so gentle that he never got around to the, to the point of saying what they really needed. I was reminded a, a few weeks ago when a young man was entering into the ministry and we were, he was going through the ordination trials. And one of the things that he had to do was preach in front of our presbytery. Uh, and in his proclamation, he effectively and clearly explained the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and what it means to be saved from our sins. And then kind of at the end, he kind of quipped, well, I know none of you here as pastors need to hear this. And I thought, no, we do need to hear this. He was very bold, or he was very gentle in his proclamation, but he wasn't bold. Pastors need the gospel. We need to hear what our heart is like. So do you, okay? We need to hear the gospel. So Paul says he was gentle like a mother and bold like a mother, okay? And then in verses 9 through 12, he goes in and talks about gospel fathering. What it was like to be a gospel, or I mean, a father to the Thessalonians. And he says, For you know, verse 11, how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Um, in our society and our culture, fatherhood seems to be under attack. And it's been under attack for quite a long time. You can go and watch the, the latest sitcoms and they'll, know, they'll usually show the father as the bumbling idiot and the mother that has to swoop in to save the day. And I think that has kind of crept into the church and we see fathers in that way. Um, and many civil institutions will say today that fathers are not necessary for the family. And they encourage things like, uh, like single mothers raising their children. They promote those things. And so many of our civil institutions are doing that. Uh, but they're coming around, and I find that really interesting that they're coming around because study after study says that fathers are crucial to the social development of their children. And in fact, a recent article I read that said that fathers are more important to their children's social development than their mothers. Okay, And I'm not tooting my own horn here. I'm not saying that, but it's just a fact of science. Science says it. Fathers are more important than mothers, okay? Uh, so, uh, but Paul says he wasn't just like a mother to them. He says that he was like a father to him. Uh, and uh, and I, I just want to make a side note here. Look in verse 9. You remember, brothers, that our labor, uh, our labor and toil, we worked night and day that we may not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim the gospel of God. And just as a side note, um, parents, as much as they are able, are not meant to be a burden to their own children. Um, it's not to say that as you get elderly that you can't rely more and more on your children, but it, but what we have today is so often is that uh, children, the, the children act more responsible than the parents. Uh, and Paul says, look, this parents are not to be a burden to their children. Caleb, don't look at your parents that way. All right? <laughs> parents, as much as are able, as much as they can control, are not to be a burden to their own children, and that should be a goal for all of us as parents, okay? But that's a side note. What did Paul say that he did as a father? What was his primary goal? What did he do? He said he did two things. He exhorted his children, and he encouraged his children. He exhorted, and he encouraged them. What's an exhortation? Essentially, an exhortation is to offer a challenge to them, okay? That what Paul did was he came alongside of of these Thessalonians, and he challenged them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said, this is what your heart is like, 
And this is what your heart should be like. And so he, he confronted them and he, he challenged them. That's what an exhortation is. And Paul says he did this in both word and deed. He was not inconsistent in his living before his spiritual children. He worked hard to make sure that his life matched the things that he uh, was saying to them. He was an example. He worked hard. He worked hard among them. And he exhorted them in word and in deed. Because dads are meant to call their children to something better. The word that's used here for a dad, for a father is the same word that's used of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in Greek is called the paraclete, or the one that comes alongside. And essentially, fathers are called to come alongside their children. They're called to set an example in their life for their children, to model for their children how they are to live. Um, And they're also to call their children to live better. Um, So that's the exhortation side. But also, there's this thing that Paul says he did. He didn't just exhort and challenge his children, but he encouraged them. What is an encouragement? An encouragement is, as you're coming alongside your children, you say, here's the challenge, but you can do this. You got this. Now, moms will always say that about their children. You can do it. You got this. Because moms are eternal optimists, right? Moms are going to be the ones that say, you got this, you got this. But to hear a dad say, You got this. You can do this. That's even more important. That's even better. Um, Dads will stand out in the stands and they'll holler things to their children as they're playing sports. They'll say, you go, 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 that sort of thing. But how much better is it? And and this is the way that that Paul says his ministry was uh, among the Thessalonians. It wasn't just that he stood back in the stands yelling down, but that he actually came down out of the stands with his child. And it reminded me of... uh, this illustration. In 1992, in the Summer Olympics, there was a 400-meter sprinter uh, named Derek Redmond. And all of you have seen this, I'm sure of it. All of you have cried tears after seeing this. But Derek Redmond was projected to win the 400-meter dash that year. Uh, He was, or 400-yard dash. He was supposed to win. He was supposed to blow everybody out. He had trained and trained and trained. He'd beaten everybody at the, at the, the, uh, on the, the, the qualifying event and all that. He was going to win. He was from Britain. And as they started around the first 300 yards of this of this event, he was winning. He was blowing everyone out. And then he got a, he, he, his hamstring, he felt it pop in his leg. And he crumbled to the ground as everyone else ran past him. And what he did was amazing because he was in excruciating pain. And what did he do? He, he stood up. And he began to drag his foot behind his leg behind him as he was trying to finish. He was determined to finish. And that is an amazing view of a runner who is determined to finish something that he's worked so hard for. But he crumpled. He couldn't do it. I mean, imagine having your hamstring just pop, to have it separated in your leg. The pain that goes there. But he got up again. And as he got down, his dad ran from the stadium to, to the track. And his dad picked him up and carried him the rest of the way to to finish. What an incredible view of what dads are called to do. To exhort. You know his dad was there pushing him the whole time. Training, training, training. But when it came time, he picked him up and carried him across the finish line. He was an encouragement to his son. That's what Paul says he was like among the Thessalonians. 
He was a mother. He was gentle and bold in his proclamation. He was like a father in his exhortation and encouragement among them. All right, so that's the first thing that we see, what Paul was like in his manner of ministry. Secondly, we see how the Thessalonians received that ministry. And uh, I had to create a word in order to do this. (laughs) The word is gospel childing. Uh, parenting is easy, but I don't know what the equivalent word to, to what a child is like. So it's childing. He parented them, and the Thessalonians were children to Paul. He re, what did they do? They received his ministry. So in verses 13 through 16, we see how their reception went. Um, notice Paul is thankful for his children. And we also thank God constantly. This is verse 13. Uh, or continually is the way that constantly or continually. For this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Okay. Um, so Paul is thankful for his children. There's nothing better as a parent than to be thankful because of the way that your children are acting. It's, it's a good thing for that, and it's delights a parent. Paul is thankful for his spiritual children. Why? Because they were obedient. Because they received Paul's word, the gospel that he preached, not as his word, but they received it as what it really was. It was an authority. It wasn't just Paul's word. It was the word of God. And this is a hard thing to grasp. This is really hard for you on a Sunday morning to grasp this. It's maybe even harder for me to grasp this. That as I stand in this pulpit and I deliver the word of God, that I'm not merely speaking in my own authority, but I am speaking the word of God to you with authority that comes only because God is is doing this work through the Holy Spirit. It's not the words of my mouth that really matter, but it's the words that you are receiving by the work of the Holy Spirit that come with power and authority. That's heavy stuff for us to grasp. That Paul is speaking to these individuals as God's word is being delivered. It's really God that is speaking to them by the power of the Spirit. But it's not just the power of the Spirit in him delivering the word of God. It's the power of the Spirit in them receiving the word of God. Because the Holy Spirit is both at work in his giving the word, but also in their receiving of the word. Um, Because what I say and what I do up here doesn't matter uh, if... If the Holy Spirit also isn't at work in your hearts, allowing you to receive this word, what I do doesn't matter. It's almost like sometimes that there's a big wall that happens right here. And if the Holy Spirit doesn't work in your hearts, you will not receive it. And it's a powerful thing uh, because Paul understands that it's that word of God, the, the word that comes in the authority of God, that actually does what it needs to do. That is transform human hearts. And that's the means that God has using or chosen. Uh, that's the means that God uses to transform His people. That's the primary means. Um, there are a lot of things that can be used, but God uses His Word more than anything else to make us different. So that's why the highlight of your week, as crazy as it sounds, should be the sermon <laughs> where you hear from not Kelly Dotson, but from the Word of God Himself. That's the means that God is using to transform his people. Now, how does Paul know that these Thessalonians are receiving that word? How does he know? And, by the way, how would I know that you are also receiving 
this word that I'm preaching today, it's really quite simple. You respond by being imitators of Paul and Jesus. And also, you respond by being imitators, like Paul says, of this church, this specific church in Judea. Uh, Look in verse 14. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. Paul says, here's how he knows that they received the word. They heard the word of God and they suffered for it. The church in Judea uh, that first heard the gospel preached to them, what happened was after a short short amount of time of thousands upon thousands of people becoming Christians, the Jews began an intense persecution of that church. Some people were killed. Remember, Paul was one of the people that was over the killing of other Christians. And he says, that church was persecuted, and what did they do? They stuck with the gospel. They persevered with the gospel. They received the gospel. They didn't leave it behind, and they didn't treat it like it was nothing. They weren't nominal Christians, but because of the persecution, they held on tightly to Christ. And he says, that's what happened in Judea. That's what happened to the church in Judea. That's also what's happening to you in Thessalonica. As you hear the gospel, you respond by being imitators, Bearing with the suffering that comes. They patiently persevered through that persecution. They went through persecution trusting that God knew what was best for them. And that's an important thing for children. It's hard for children to understand that, that their parents actually know what's best for them. That's a hard thing to get. But the Thessalonians received the word of God trusting that what God had for them, the suffering that he was sending them through, was the best things for them. And they understood better, they knew that that what God had for them was better than what they had for themselves. It's a hard thing for children to grasp. So, So those are those two things, okay? Gospel parenting, gospel childing. Paul gave them the gospel, he parented them with the gospel, and then the Thessalonians received the gospel. Now, here are a few applications to us in conclusion. Um, Christianity is not a single-player sport. Okay, single Christianity is not like golf or tennis or even uh, running in some ways, uh, because you don't do it by yourself. Okay, Christianity is not a single-player sport. You need the church. Because, again, it's where it's in the church where the word of God is, where the word of God is proclaimed. You need the church in order to grow in Christ. But it's not just that you need the church. You know, the church needs you as well. Because even though, yes, it's pastors and, and it used to be apostles who were proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, you know, you're also responsible for proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to other people. Um, you know, the church needs you as well, and God calls you to serve the church, to be here for the church. You cannot do this alone. You have to be here. And then secondly, it's just a reminder, you know, the gospel is not about you and what you do. Paul didn't come and talk about how great the Thessalonians were. He actually said, no, you're, you're wretched sinners who deserve the wrath of God, but there's good news. Jesus Christ came to save you from your sin. It's all about Jesus and all about Christ. 
This is why you need the gospel. Or this is why you need the church as well. Because it's only in the church where you're going to be reminded of that. Most places you go, they're going to tell you how great you are. <laughs> it's the church that you can come to where I get to tell you you're terrible, wretched sinners. But Jesus has overcome your sin. Jesus is for you. And Jesus loves you like a mother loves her child. He exhorts you and encourages you like a dad exhorts and encourages his children. You and I need that constant reminder we need the church. Let's pray and thank God for giving us this word today. Our Father, we thank you for this word and we thank you that you do love us and care for us in it. Thank you for, uh, for providing for the church, uh, gospel mothers and fathers, those who are gentle and bold in their proclamation, but also those uh, that are uh, exhorting and encouraging. And Father, I pray that all of us would not uh, forsake the church, uh, that we would love the church, but also that we would receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Father, we pray all these things in Christ's name.